we continue our series in the book of Philippians. And the series is called Press On. So we're pressing on with our series. And this, uh, tonight we go on to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. Philippians chapter 1 verse 18. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 18 all the way to verse 20, 26. And the Bible says, What then? Oh, couldn't you stand? I'm sorry for the reading of God's word. I apologize for that. If you could stand and let's read God's word. Look what it says. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whatever is pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, I, and I will rejoice. For I know on this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, For, for, uh, for to me to live is Christ, is to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what shall I choose? I would not. For I am in I am in strength between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know I shall I shall abide and continue with you all Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I shall abide and continue with you all for you furtherance and joy of faith, that you, your rejoicing may be more abounded in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Shall we pray, Heavenly Father? Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we see that the book of Philippians, even though Paul is in prison, is a rejoicing book. It is a very encouraging book to read. Lord, in the midst of circumstances and headaches of life, we see one man here rejoicing in you. I pray, Father, help us to get that. Lord, no matter what life may bring us, no matter what curveballs we get hit with, may we always rejoice. Lord, Lord, it's not easy to rejoice in the midst of tears. But, Lord, it is possible, and many have done that. I pray, Father, be with everyone here tonight, especially those of your children and, of course, those who don't know you as Lord and Savior. May tonight look up to you. And call upon you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so tonight the title of the message is, For me to live is what? For me to live is what? Okay? So, <clears throat> let me ask you this question. Do you have goals in life? Do you have a life goal? I only have one person saying yes. And he's a little kid right there. He's saying yes. Good. You're going to be a policeman when you grow up? You don't know yet? Okay. All right. <laughs> An overall purpose for living that drives your motivation, determines your plans, and measures your decisions in life. Everyone, I mean, should have a life goal. What is my goal in life? What am I living for? 
All right? I'm a Christian, okay. But Christians can live for the world as well. Not every Christian lives for the Lord. Some Christians live for, them, live for themselves, some live for the world, and some live for God. So, but where is your life goal? We see uh, the Apostle Paul at his life goal right here. Look at verse 21. Let's read this verse together. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That was his purpose. That was his life goal right there. In the midst of all these verses we read, that one sticks right up. Because that was his life goal. Where was he when he uh, wrote this thing? In prison. But that didn't bother, that didn't bother him. That is say, oh, you know, my, it's my life goal. But he said, it don't matter. For me to live, Christ. And if I die, then I again I'll be with him. That's a goal. That is, you know, like he knew what he was looking for. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was speaking about. So, every person in this world is living for something. Okay? Every person in this room is living for something. All of us are living for something. Every per- like I said. So, uh, what do you hope to accomplish in life that is left, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, what do you hope to accomplish in life that if left undone, you will feel as though your life, uh, y- your very life is incomplete? Un- un- means literally, the, there was a poster that, w- that, uh, that went like this, the secret of immortality, all right? It went something like this. God has put each of us here on earth to accomplish a certain amount of work. Right now, I am so far behind that I will never die. That's the secret of immortality. (laughs) So what is it that you want to accomplish in life? What is it? What is your major goal in life? And if you did die today, you would, uh, uh, would your life goal be cut short? You say, I really did not accomplish my, my goal. Most people would rightly say, well, of course they would. A life, a life goal is something that it takes a lifetime to achieve, isn't it? If I die, part, of, part, of, uh, part made, uh, would be cut short and my goal will never be accomplished. But you see, that is impossible because one day we will depart. Right. You know, So what we do, live one, live one day at a time. Because otherwise, say, I have so many goals, I will never die. As you will die. Because that's not even a realistic statement. Okay, so, what you see is it's, it's impossible. The Apostle Paul has discovered a life goal that no one could take away from him. As he wrote these words to the Philippian, Philippians in prison, he put it right there. He said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That was his goal. Where's your goal? You see, not only was he in prison, but he was waiting if he would go free and if he was going to die. So that by execution was a very real possibility for Paul here. But it was what made no significant difference to him. It didn't matter what happened. If he would go free, if he would die, that was his goal, Christ. Inconvenience. Obstacles, suffering or sickness, putting prison or death, nothing could stand between Paul and his goal. That was his goal. That was Christ. You might be wondering what kind of goal could this, uh, could this be possible? Could uh, I'm sorry, could this possibly be? Well, if you are reading along 
with these verses right here, we'll see that was his goal. No surprise at all. Right in the middle of this, these verses. But let's take one step at a time right here as we examine these verses before us. Our scripture t- text tonight reveals to us Paul's passion, Paul's purpose, and Paul's predicament. Look, in verse 18 to verse 20, Paul's, we see Paul's passion. Okay? Verse 21, we see Paul's purpose. And verse 22 to 26, we see Paul's predicament. It's right here. So that's the point that I want to share with you about this passage of Scripture here, uh, about the, uh, for me to live is what? Number one, if you have an outline, Paul's passion. What is Paul's passion right here? So first of all, uh, verse, 16 to eight, uh, uh, verse 18 to 20, we find Paul's passion for Christ's honor. And remember, Paul is in prison, but even in prison, he honor a Savior. Let me put it this. What is your major passion? What is your major goal? What are you living for? Paul had a passion. His passion is Christ. Remember, the, the soldiers were coming. We, we dealt with that. Sit next to Paul. And what did Paul do? Give him the gospel. That was his passion. That's what he lived for. So he didn't let, he didn't let this predicament to, to manipulate his mind. He had a, goal, a set goal, and his goal was to live for Christ. Didn't matter what life may bring him. So, it usually uh, doesn't get much worse than that. Take, take whatever problem you may be facing, uh, even right now, this week, what you want to trade for Paul's problems. Think about it. Whatever problem you're facing this week, would you put yourself in Paul's place? That means, you know, shackles on your, your feet and in your hands and be in, in, in prison and, you, you know, lose freedom. Would you do that? You'd probably say, oh, Paul, I, I love you as a brother, but I don't want to trade places. I, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't. I don't want to do that. See, probably not that would be the answer. And yet Paul was not worried or, or whining about a situation. Instead, Paul was rejoicing that, and that right, that's right rejoicing right here. Let me tell you this. That's why the book of, of Philippians is such an in, encouraging book. Because we see the writer of Philippians is in prison. He's not, you know, having a good time. He is in prison. His living conditions are not the great. But one thing, he is rejoicing in the Lord. Listen, not many people rejoice in times of trouble. Not many people rejoice when, when we are hurting. Right? When you have a massive headache, yeah, are you rejoicing? I, I don't like, where's the Tylenol? I got something, I need something here because my head is banging. With anybody, anything in our body, we don't rejoice. I mean, go to the hospital and walk around and see all the sick people there and see how much joy is, gonna, is going in there. You just don't see it because there is pain there. Right. Hospital is a place of pain. People are there for a reason. They're sick. Not much joy there. Remember, Paul is a sick man. He had something in his flesh. God chose not to take out. Paul is in prison. His condition is not the great, but Paul is rejoicing. What example for us. So, letter A under that first point is confidence. Look, for, look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand the verse because you might think he's talking about he has to work for salvation. And that's not what it says in there. All right? So the last time we met together, Paul rejoiced because Christ was being preached, 
Now he learned that Paul has another reason for rejoicing. He was he, he has confidence that he will they will be delivered in the time in a, of a time of trouble. He believed that he's going to be set free from prison. You know what? It's being optimistic, isn't it? If you're sick, don't you like to get healed? If you're hurt, don't you like to go away? You know, I'm very optimistic about my foot. Believe me, I'm here and in my, I'm in a lot of pain. Believe me, I'm, I, I'm not going to say I'm in pain. No, I am. And I have a hard time walking. But you know what? I'm optimistic. It will go away eventually. I massage the thing. I do all kinds of things. Eventually, it will go. See, it's optimism. You're not like, oh, poor me. It's not, never going to heal. I'm optimistic. It will heal. Paul is in prison. Paul was optimistic that he was going to be set free. And he had a reason to rejoice. So he was confident. Now, at first glance, you might think that when Paul talks about deliverance, he's talking about freedom from prison. That is confidence, uh, that he is confident that he will be released from jail. And later, uh, he is, but in later verse 25, we find that he is indeed is expecting. Actually, look at verse 25. And having this confidence, look what he says. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. You see, it continue with you all. He believes that he's going to be set free. But there is, in verse 19, Paul is talking about a different kind of deliverance. So don't confuse the two, all right? Paul is actually quoting from Job, chapter 13, what Job says. So he slay me, at, uh, Job 13, 15, yet I will trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. And verse 16 says, he also shall be my salvation for my... <clears throat> uh, Hypocrites shall not come before him. So, like Paul, Job was going through a difficult trial, but but Job was confident that when all was said and done, God would vindicate him and declare him innocent of wrongdoing. And we know that Job was innocent. That is, Paul's confident here too. Paul was literally on trial before the Roman court. There should be... There would be extreme pressure to deny Christ on his part in order to save his own life. But Paul was determined not to. Can you imagine that? Paul was determined not to deny his Savior, even if he died doing so. There was a saint of ours, I forgot his name now, during the Inquisition in, in Spain many years ago. And this man was a pastor for many years. I forgot his name. In, I'm sorry I forgot his name. But they put him in the middle of the public place there. And they put all the wood. And they about to lit on fire. And the only thing they wanted him to say is to deny Jesus. You know what he said? He never hurt me. He never lied to me. He never did me wrong. He never let me down. He is my Lord and my Savior. I cannot deny my Jesus. Amen. He was born alive for everybody to see. You know what? That was another man like Paul. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, this is when our faith comes to the surface in those moments like that. When we go to those moments and our faith comes to the surface, for me to live is what? You see, Paul was like Job. He was determined to live for the Lord and to even if he died doing so. And we know, based on the scriptures, that Paul died in his faith. So Paul is confident that he will stand the test, but his confidence is not based on his own 
character and his own determination and his own power. And now he draws his confidence from two sources, only both uh, uh, spared by his, uh, by, by one, uh, uh, by his own person, the praise of God's people, that the Philippian church is praying for him, and the help of the Holy Spirit in him. So the, the two are uh, uh, vitally connected together here. So as the Philippian, Philippians pray for him, the Holy Spirit will answer those prayers by giving Paul the help that he needs to stand firm. Listen, when I say to you, could you pray for me? I mean that. When you say, could you pray for me? We should take that serious. When a Christian person say, would you pray for me? Take that serious. You know how? Because there is a need. You know, we, we say, let's pray for our missionaries. Our missionaries don't know we're praying for them. But we pray for them because, you know what? God, can, God hears our prayers, and God will answer those prayers and bless them. Listen, it takes faith to do that, but we believe in a, in a real God, don't we? See, Paul knew that the Philippian church was praying for him, and he was doing praying for the Philippian church as well. So what that shows, we need to pray for one another. And my pastor taught me this way. I said, when I was a young Christian, and my pastor told me this way, I actually asked him the question. I said, Pastor, I don't understand. Uh, suddenly, uh, I see people that I see in the church, they come to my mind. I don't even know their names. You know what he said? Pray for them. And I said, why? I mean, I was a young Christian. I, didn't, I, I, was, I tried to understand. He said, pray for them. I said, Why? The Lord wants you to pray for them, and it's something in their lives, but just pray, whatever it is, the Lord, just pray for them. And you know what? From that point, I learned, even in the workplace, whatever I am, if any of you shows up, or any other Christian brother or sister that's not a member of this church comes to my mind, I pray for them. You know what? Because it must, might be something. I don't know what's going on in their lives. But we need to, even our prayer requests on Wednesday night, this is serious. People, if the people put their names there, it's because they want you to pray for them. And I encourage you, take a home, take the sheet home, pray for those people. Amen. So, let me put it this way. Do you, pay, do you pray for persecuted Christians? You brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, today you are hungry, suffering, poor, put in prison, separated from their loved ones, perhaps even facing that. When Christians from free lands from freelance, ask, uh, 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 I ask to pray, we should pray. Let me tell you, folks, there are Christians in the world today facing all kinds of persecution, even in this century that we live in, this present age. So number one there under that letter um, A, I, think, I don't know if you have this in your outline, but I give it to you. Paul's confidence rested in the prayer of God's people. You know, this... Look what it says in verse 19, through your prayer. You know what? It is something about prayer, especially when someone says to you, I'm praying for you. Isn't that encouraging? We know what, what prayer is and should be encouraging. I get texts sometimes, uh, almost I'd say every week, where people say, I'm praying for you. That is encouragement. That encourages you. I got my... my, <laughs> my teacher, Mrs. McKeever, in college, she sends me a little thing every day, every day, it's unfair, every seven days a week, she sends me a thing. She's like, she should be my great, 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 great grandmother. <laughs> but she sends me this little thing, and she says in the end, I'm praying for you, Brother Barboza. That's very encouraging. 
Very encouraging. Any return, I send her my devotional. <laughs> so Paul's confident is that he's in prison. He's not in a good place, but that God's people is praying for him in verse 19. We see that. You see, let's go to point number two tonight. Paul's purpose. Now, see, we see in the number two, verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is his purpose for living. Every person have a purpose for the lifestyle that they live. You got that? Every person have a purpose for the lifestyle that they live. You know, uh, I mean, some people live to imitate other people. I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be like so-and-so. They begin to dress like them, speak like them, act like them. As our world. Everybody have a purpose for living. Paul had a purpose, Christ. That was his purpose. So, the things that we do, the places that... They, that, that they go, the words that they speak, all are marked by the lifestyle that they choose to have. And we see, especially if you work in a place like I do, it's so huge. I tell you what, you know what happens there? You see the different lifestyles of people there. You see. So, letter A, we see it was a settled purpose. Verse 21, Paul had a purpose for his living. He made the choice, uh, uh, the choice to live for Jesus, and that's what he was living for. What about you? What about me? What is your purpose for living? What is the purpose of your living? Are you living? What is, what is your goal in life? That is the question that I believe you must ask yourself. What is my purpose? What am I living for? What is my number one goal as I live from day to day? You see, we see this... Uh, uh, Right here in verse 21, where Paul states his purpose for living. It is a powerful statement. And it, it, was a, it is an expression that comes from belief deep from his heart because he's strong. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This was Paul's life goal that could not be taken away from him. It didn't matter if they killed him in prison. It didn't matter if he rotten in prison. That was his goal. Even in prison, his primary goal was Christ. Now, can we live for God when life doesn't go the way we want? Can we? I believe we can. Listen, God gave us every day 24 hours. 24 hours. You can sleep all day. You can work all day. Or you can sleep, you know, manage your time well. Wake up, serve the Lord all day. You can serve the Lord in your job. You can serve the Lord in your neighborhood. You can serve the Lord in your car. Amen. You can serve the Lord anywhere you go. You can serve your Lord if that's your purpose. You see, this was Paul's purpose and motivation for his living. Someone said, I don't get that verse. I always feel that there should be a, this verse should not be in the Bible. Oh, Really? As even a person that says, it doesn't seem like it fits there. It does fit there. It does fit there because Paul is expressing his heart, and he goes, boom, puts him right there. His purpose was a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could sum up his entire life calling one word, for me to live is Christ. What a statement. Let it be. It was an, un an unwavering purpose, verse 21 there. Uh, some people live... <laughs> For destructive things like drugs and alcohol and many other things. Others live for unworthy things like entertainment, pleasure, or money. 
Some live for good things like family, uh, children, public service, or just, uh, or just causes. Still others live for religion things or religious things like church, prayer, and religious works, but some live for Christ. You follow that? Some people can be very religious and far away from God. Because Jesus didn't, didn't die for religion, he died for people. Right. All right? Paul, he didn't say, you know, I died for the church. No, he died. I, for me to live is Christ, my Savior. Life, uh, uh, life means Jesus, and therefore that was gained for, that simply means more of Jesus in Paul's mind. That's not an enemy of the Christian folks. All right? Some people are afraid of dying. We should not be afraid of dying. Because when we die, it's not death for us. It is we graduate. You follow that? We, don't, we graduate to where? To heaven. That's why Paul says to die is gain. Because I'll be with him. I suppose that for most of us, if we were here waiting in prison like Paul, our minds would be focused on what the judge is going to say. Our thoughts would be consumed by what the judge is going to say in that moment. Guilty. Not guilty. What is he going to do? We probably will lose sleep. We probably will be shaking and like, oh, I don't know, I hope I can get up free. Paul was calm, comfortable, praying for the Philippian church, encouraging them. And he was not worried about himself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, you will not find a finer or a true life goal or purpose anywhere else. Number three, we see Paul's predicament from verse 22 to verse 26. Look what it says. I'm having this confidence. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that you, your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. You know what? Paul is a human being, and Paul has confidence that you will be set free. That's confidence. That's something to look forward to. But he knew that he could be killed there, and it happened. Paul was not set free. We have seen Paul's passion for Christ's honor. We have seen Paul look at, at his purposeful living. And finally, we examine this. We see Paul's predicament. Paul was not in a hotel. Paul was not on vacation. Paul was not sitting in a good place. Paul was in prison. In letter A, we see Paul's predicament in the face of that. Then in verse 22 to verse 24, we see this. Uh, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I would not. As the Lord says in verse 22, that I'm straight between two, having a desire to depart and to be with you, be, and, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, he says. We have already seen that life of that make no difference for Paul. His life goal was Christ, and neither, and neither life of that could interfere with him. You know what? His fate was settled. His decision was settled. His goal was settled. Paul was not going to shake. That was his life. And you know what? He said, but for if I stay... I want to be a blessing to you and be good for you to the Philippian church. You see, so what was his predicament here? His predicament did not concern himself but the Philippians. It was more, he was more concerned about others than he was about himself regardless of his situation. Look again on verse, let's see, 
on verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Look at Paul. All right, folks, listen to this, please. Okay, Paul is where? In prison. Paul is in prison. He was not on vacation. He was in prison. All right? Paul, the Philippians, he's in Rome. The Philippians is in another, in another area right there. And Paul was praying for them. Paul was more concerned about the church of Philippi than he was concerned about his situation. You follow that? He was more concerned about others than he was about himself. Wow. What a testimony. You see that? You know, we have to be careful we don't get so consumed about us that we think others are secondary. Paul was not Paul's thinking. Paul was more concerned about them than he was about himself. He said, for me to die, if I die, I go to be with Christ. But I want to be with you because I'm concerned about you. Wow. That was Paul here in verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He didn't say for me. He said for you. He was more concerned about the Philippian church than he was about himself. Paul was not afraid of that, for he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.8 these, these words. Actually, go to 2 Corinthians 5.8. I want you to see what Paul thinks about dying. All right? 2 Corinthians 5.8. Let's see what Paul says about dying there. It's a verse that most of us know. Of us know it's a very, very popular verse. But look at that, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Are you there? 2 Corinthians 5.8. I'll wait for you. I want you to see these words. Are we good? Good. Okay. Look what it says. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with whom? With the Lord. See, Paul was not afraid of dying. Paul said, if I, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. So that was his confidence. So he was more concerned about the Philippian church than he was about himself. He knew, but he knew if he kept on living, he could be useful, service to others. And so he was, he was torn between two. He wanted to be with the Savior, but he wanted to help the church. Isn't that interesting? His desire to depart, to be with Christ, that was certainly better by far. And yet, he felt the responsibility to remain and to help the Philippians make progress in their faith. It wasn't that Paul that went to the third heaven. So he saw the glories of heaven. He knew what was in there. But he said, I'm willing to stay here just for your sake. I tell you, folks, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Life is more joyful when we care for others more than we care about ourselves. Right. You might think I'm kidding, but I'm telling you. That's not by mistake the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. But, I mean, you see the joy, and when we be a blessing to somebody and the joy in their faces, right. it blesses, it, I don't know about you, but it blesses my heart. Amen. So, so he's literally he's struggling here. I want to I be with the Lord. He's my Savior. I know where I'm going, but I want to be with you as well. I'm hard-pressed between two directions. Where should I go? Paul longs to be with the Savior. He can't think of anything he would rather do that simply know Jesus Christ in the fullness of His presence. Can you imagine? It's in the, in the fullness of His presence, but I want to be with you as well. 
So Paul's whole life since conversion was focused on faithful service to Jesus and, and imitate an intimate relationship, in an intimate relationship with him, I'm sorry. But as close as we may grow to, to Jesus in, in his life is nothing compared to what waits when we get to heaven. Folks, I tell you what, I don't think any saint in heaven wants to come back. I don't think so. When we walk in that pearly gate and we walk in that street of gold and our eyes focus on, on that throne of God, I tell you what, hey, what a joy. Right. That sinful nature is gone forever. The Philippians needed him. And if he goes on living, this will mean uh, fruitful labor for him. And so he cries out, what shall I choose? Verse 22. This is not a mental exercise for Paul right here. In the original language, we can actually see Paul's distress in his writings. He is extremely concerned about his church. And I tell you what, we should be concerned for one another. We should be concerned for one another. If a brother is hurting, if somebody is physically ill, we should be concerned about them. We should be concerned about the little kids walking around. They're, they're going to be the church of tomorrow. Amen. We should be always going to be that testimony to them that Christ is real, that God loves them. Right. If you didn't pick up yet, just notice the unselfishness of Paul's thinking here. Most people would, would shun that and hold on life for self-reasons. Paul longs to die right here. But, it, but he, he, he is willing to set aside in order to serve others, right? He said, I want to be with my Savior, but I'll be with, I want to be with you to encourage you. This is so typical of Paul. Actually, go to Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. Look what, look what Paul, through, I mean, through his writings, we see this over and over again. And look there in Romans chapter one, 9 verse 1. Look what it says there. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that, uh, that myself were cursed for Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Look what Paul says here in this verse. Did you got this verse? Look what it says. For I could wish, if, uh, for I could wish that myself were cursed for, my, for Christ. Uh, uh, from Christ, for my brother, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory of the covenant and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises right here. So comparing the Romans passage with our present text right here, Warren Worsby makes the following comment. Listen to this. Paul is willing to postpone uh, going to heaven in order to help Christians grow. And he's willing to go to hell in order to win the lost to Christ. You see, Paul, Paul's life is for others. He expresses, it's not like Paul, don't misunderstand. It's not like Paul's going to get lost. Once you save, you save forever. And Paul expresses that. He's saying, if I even, look at says, actually, look at the verse again. He says in verse um, 3, it says, uh, For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren. My kinsmen according to the flesh. You see, even if I would lose it all, I would do it just for your sake. Wow. Is that us? For me to live is what? Now that is unselfishness in the part of Paul. As Paul contemplates the thought of that, he realized that 
that all he has worked for, all that he lived for, all that he longs for is all about Christ. He's going to be with the Savior, but he's all about Christ. He's not going to waver. He just stands still firm. That's what Paul believes. So Paul firmly believes he will be restored to the Philippians. Actually, let's go back to our text and look there in verse 25 and verse 26, what it says. It says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, uh, well, I lost my place right here, with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ for me by my coming to you again. So Paul firmly believes you will be restored to Philippian church to the Philippians, and together they will rejoice in God, gracious answer to prayer on his behalf. I'll tell you what, sometimes our desires is not God's desires. Paul, didn't matter what happened to him, you know, for me to live as Christ, but Paul had that desire to be with the Philippians again. That didn't happen. He went to heaven. But he expressed that desire to the Philippian church. He encourages them. That's why this book is so a wonderful book. It's a book that brings encouragement to us that in the midst of any problem of life, we can rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice. And let me tell you, folks, life is like this. Today, I cry, you laughing. Tomorrow, you cry and I laugh. That's the way life is. Problem. Don't you realize that life is always a problem, another problem, another problem, and another problem? You want to give you want to share me to share my problem this week? <laughs> I, I I took my car to the mechanic to uh, to look at a, um, a sensor in my car and to put a new sticker. And when they called me and they said you, your sensor is fine, there's nothing wrong. They said we're just going to reset the sensor sticker. It's uh, got to be you got to put this inspection sticker in there. But you need brakes in the front and the back, and the price is nine hundred fifty-eight dollars. I was like, oh my! I said to the lady. Uh, her name was Maria. I said, Maria, that's good news. <laughs> that is great news. And she said, she laughed. And she said, well, that's a lot of, she said to me, it's a lot of money. I said, yep, that's a lot of money. I'm like, let me call you right back. And I had to look, oh, my word. You see, what do you, it's, what do you do? All right. Car needs to be fixed. What do you do? You got to pay for it. <laughs> but after that comes another problem. Then comes another problem. That's what life is made about. Problems after problems. We always literally, we like the fireman. Here's a little fire here. A little fire here. It keeps going. It never stops. It never stops. And you say like, you know, in the end of the month, oh, I pay all my bills. Oh, nice. Then the next day the mailman comes and delivers the next bills. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? That's the way it is. But that should never detour us from our purpose for living. For me to live, Christ. Here's the question for you. What are you living for? What is your purpose for living? Let me conclude this, this message tonight with this. This is a remarkable passage of Scripture, folks. We have seen Paul's incredible passion for Jesus here. And he, and, and he honors the Lord here with this, with this very decision that he makes for me to live is Christ. As we close, I invite you to consider the central verse of this entire passage, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How would you finish this sentence? For me to live is what? If you were to put something there, and I fold the blank, there's a blank there. For me to live is 
I cannot fill that for you. Only you can fill that spot. Whatever is in your mind, what are you living for? For me to live? How would you put there? How would you fill that blank? That is a question that is between, between you and the Lord. How you fill that up? Are you living for Christ? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the, are you living for others? I don't know. I cannot answer that question for none of you of what you're living for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture tonight. And, Lord, may we, all of us together, including me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we know that this world is just a passing through. Lord, we are your children. And help us, Lord, to live with you in the center of our minds and hearts. Lord, may we follow the example of Paul here tonight. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Jesus' name I pray.